transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 60 feet. This is Alpha Mike, and you are listening to Raider Cop Podcast, episode 284. Today's topic, Sandino, part of the Wise Guys series. But we're also going to talk a little bit about the following. The Republicans in Congress biting secret documents, the whining conservative media, National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day, COVID-19, what is good is bad and what is bad is good. But as I said, today's topic, Sandino, which is part of the Wise Guy series as we talk about the mysterious consigliere of the Genovese crime family. The word of the day for today's episode 284 will be from the book of John, chapter 5, verse 29. So let's start off with our first topic, the Republicans in Congress. Of course, uh, it took McCarthy 15 tries to become Speaker of the House. What did we learn from this process? Well, as Americans, we learned a whole lot. We learned that they haven't had debate on the congressional floor since 2016, which is shocking, that bills are shoved down their throat with no time to examine or to read, just to vote. And we also learned that a lot of new rules were negotiated, and that to me is scary that you had to negotiate these positions, they should be automatics, like waiting 72 hours before you vote on a bill. These things are disturbing that you had to negotiate them, but nevertheless, they did, and it took McCarthy 15 tries until he became Speaker of the House. A second topic that we're going to talk about is the Biden secret documents that were found earlier, well, later in 2022, November 2nd, they were found and turned in to the federal government. Secret documents that were uh, found at the University of Pennsylvania for a think tank for the Pan-Biden think tank that was uh, sponsored somehow through the Chinese at a whopping over $50 million. That must have been a lot of thinking. But nevertheless, these, these secret documents were found there, thrown there. And according to the Democrats, they said that the lawyers for now President Biden, but at the time Vice President Biden, turned in those documents quickly. Well, that's not necessarily true. You see, old Joe was the vice president six years earlier. So it actually took six years to turn in those secret documents. So I guess we'll find out someday in the near future. What the hell that's all about. Our third topic is the whining conservative media that consistently all they do is whine and cry every time a story comes out. 
recently you're going to hear them talking about the Biden secret documents that were found. But it happened to Trump. And they raided his home. They raided Mar-a-Lago. How come they're not raiding Joe's home? How come there's two system government? We know all this. But you think since they were in the media, they talk about what the documents are. Who wrote the documents? How long were they've been in possession of the Biden vice president uh, staff? What were they doing in the University of Pennsylvania? How did the think tank even use them? No, we're just going to whine about It's pathetic already. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm sure glad those 20 to 30 congressmen stood up for what was right. But we got to start holding the media and the so-called journalists accountable. Well, recently, January 10th, the nation is celebrating National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. It's one of those dates that just sneaks up on you, like Kwanzaa did back in uh, 20, 30 years ago. And all of a sudden, we're appreciating law enforcement all over again. Boy, feels like ancient history, the defund movement. Recently, the CEO of Pfizer admitted that the COVID vaccine really doesn't last very long. Hmm. Just think about all those people that were canceled and had their social media platforms taken down. And just like that, the CEO of Pfizer is saying the same thing they did. And lastly, you haven't noticed when you look at the media, what is good is currently bad and what is bad is good. Of course, when President Trump did things wrong, like leave classified documents that were not really classified because he declassified them when he was president, but it doesn't matter because he's Trump and he's a Republican So we're going to raid his house with the FBI, and as such, we're going to make him a suspect and guilty till he proves his own innocence. And we compare that to Joe Biden, when he was vice president, had absolutely zero power to declassify anything, and these documents were in his possession for six years in the University of Pennsylvania under some group think tank that was highly funded over $50 million by Chinese nationals. But nothing to see there. As we continue the, the trend of what is good is bad, and what is bad is good. Up next, episode 284, Sandino, the mysterious wise guy from the Genovese crime family, what we call the Genovese crime family today. (laughs) 
Episode 284, Sandino, the mysterious mafioso that was mentioned by Joe Valachi, 1963, when he testified and spilled his guts to the Senate committee, explaining the inner workings of La Costa Nostra to the American government. Joe Valachi, a member of the Genovese crime family, as we call it today, he spilled his guts saying all about what he knew, and I'll emphasize that again, what he knew about the American Mafia, better known as Costa Nostra. As such, he mentioned a lot of names. He mentioned the bosses of the five families, Joe Bonanno, uh, Provacci, Thomas Lucchese, Albert Anastasia, Gambino, and of course his own family, with Vito Genovese and uh, Lucky Luciano and Frank Costello. But there was one person, Joe Valachi, just didn't know his complete name. Didn't really know much about the guy, period. He gave him a position, though. And he identified this person as Sandino. When he was pushed by congressmen as to what the full name was. He says, I only know him by Sandino. And I believe he's some type of advisor, consigliere, to the family. You see, Joe Valachi was an original. He started in Inception. Remember, we always talk about the date of Inception for the American Mafia would be 1931. Was there something going on prior to that? Of course there was. But Joe Valachi opened up the doors with many other mafiosos that would become the originals to the secret society. And 30 years later, he didn't really know about this person. He referred to him as... Sandino. That's all he knew. And he believed he was some type of advisor. And he believed he was like a consigliere. For a guy that had over 30 years in the ranks, that tells me that's a real secret group. So you might be asking, well, who is Sandino? We could go through that. But that doesn't really answer what we're going to talk about today. I could tell you that Sandino's name is, or was, Alessandro Pandolofo. He was born in Naples in 1892. And he was an advisor, according to one or two confidential informants, of Tony Bender or Anthony Strollo which was a important ca captain in the Genovese crime family. 
Now, it doesn't really say much what I just said, and that would be the end of the show. But today we're going to talk a little bit more about what this mysterious position consigliere is. In The Godfather, they paid little to no attention to this position. If you noticed in The Godfather, there's a lot of small little historical clips in the entire movie. Uh, When they try to kill the guy at the bar, well, it really happened. And it was placed in the movie The Godfather. There was a lot of things that really occurred that would be reflected in the movie The Godfather. When mafiosos met in Cuba, that was real. When Meyer Lansky was an advisor to Costa Nostra, that was real. So there's a lot of similarities of truth in The Godfather. But sadly, the position of consigliere was given to an Irish an Irishman that was adopted by at the time Vito Colleoni which was the boss in the movie now of course we know that you can't be a made member if you don't have a, a parent or a father that is Italian in today's standards back then and early inception or in the 40s I believe you had to have them both but nevertheless Hollywood took the liberty of making an Irishman the consigliere of the family he really wasn't a made member either he was just some kid they adopted went through law school and was an attorney could it be that The researchers of The Godfather really did not know any information as to what this person is supposed to do. What is this position? And it becomes more and more uh, questionable what it might be. So let's take a brief look at what some call the consigliere position. But before we get to that, let's start with the roots of what we call today the Genovese crime family. Remember, our date of inception on the podcast is always 1931, but we're going to go beyond that so we can try to determine what this uh, consortment of consigliere is. In 1892, uh, Giuseppe Morello arrived to the United States. Apparently, Mr. Morello had some type of uh, upbringing in Costa Nostra. He originated from Sicily, the town of Corleone, and he arrived to New York City in 1892. He would later become considered the first important mafia family of New York. He was famous for having one finger, he was kind of deformed, and uh, Morello was found guilty of counterfeiting in 1909 and sentenced to 20 years. He maintained his position as head of the crime family 
for the first year of his sentence. But, now this is important, I want you to pay attention, but then lost his official position as boss. He would, however, return as boss of, upon his release in 1920. So he goes to prison in 19, on, somewhere around 1909, kept his position for one year, but he lost that position. Well, was there an election? How could he have lost his position? He was the boss. We know of Carmine Persico. He did over 30 years as the boss of the Colombo family. Vicamuso, boss of the Lucchese family. Been behind bars over 30 years. Still the boss. How come Giuseppe Morello couldn't pull it off like that? That's a little bit of a mystery in itself. Nevertheless, Nick Terranova, a half-brother to Giuseppe Morello, would become the next boss. He would stay there very much at the helm, but he took over from 1910 to 1916. 1916 1920, Vincenzo Terranova, another brother, would go ahead and take over after the death of Nick and he stepped up to the throne and keeping the position until Giuseppe was released or could be released and then in 1920 Giuseppe Morello is back he's in that position now newly arrested from Atlantic federal penitentiary in 1920 and trying to retake control of his empire. Morello found himself to be considered a threat to his former captain, a person that was under him at one time, now is in charge or a captain turned mafia ball Salvatore di Acla, who within a year of Morello's release ordered Morello killed. Morello would end up fleeing with some other men back to Sicily for a time while this uh, Diacola was trying to kill him. Uh, eventually, uh, Jomas Masseria would kill this menace and allow uh, Morello to come back. Joe Masseria controlled the family from 1922 to 1931. Maserero became the head of the Morello family with Giuseppe Morello as his consigliere or counselor. Now, isn't that strange? Let's go back a little bit to the original concept of what we were just talking about. Giuseppe Morello, 1892, would become the first boss of this family. He would rule this family until 1909 when he's convicted. His brothers would take over until 1920 when he comes back. Upon his return, one of his former captains had grown powerful in their own right to become their own boss and put out a contract to kill Giuseppe Morello. Morello flees the, flees the Sicily and 
Joe Masseria, Joe the boss, as he was known, takes over the kills this guy, takes over the family 1922 to 1931. Giuseppe Morello now returns after Joe Masseria takes over, and he is appointed Joe Masseria's consigliere. That must be an important role. Uh, this may have fit well for Morales' desire to avoid attracting undue police attention by taking that role. Who knows? He was safe, safer taking on a secondary role behind the overt leader. Um, maybe. Who knows what was happening? But nevertheless, that consigliere or counselor position was important. Of course, Matt Masseria would go on to be assassinated by Lucky Luciano in 1931. And what we know as the Costa Nostra would start, Luciano would head the family from 1931 to 1936. 36, he was imprisoned. He would hold on for another 10 years to 1946 after that period Frank Costello would be placed as boss from 1946 to 1957 and then in 1957 to 1969 Vito Genovese and of course the family bears his name so where did this Sandino come from well it's believed that he was Probably somewhere from 1936, around there. Oh, 1930. He is involved in some type of murder in 1934. So he's active. And he's a close advisor to Tony Bender. He's in the loop all the way up until 1957. And... He holds this position of consigliere. If we look at Joe Bonanno's book of A Man of Honor, on page 157, Joe Bonanno discusses the position of consigliere. He talks about how, as the father, as he would call himself of his own family, the Bonanno family, he really didn't deal with problems of people beneath him other than those bosses or those couples or those captains. They were the ones that had contact with him. Uh, those other situations that might arise between one person, one soldier and another were handled by the consigliere. What's odd is that when Joe Bonanno after 30-something years of running his own family, he wants to place his son, Bill Bonanno, in the position of consigliere. And that erupted the Bonanno Wars because nobody wanted Bill in that position. Is that position so important? Well, it is the third person in charge of a family. There's the boss, the underboss and the consigliere or could it be that the consigliere might have equal power as the boss to a certain extent 
And then the underboss is just the successor waiting in the wings. Who knows what the forefathers of Costa Nostra thought about. Now the position of consigliere has a lot to do with uh, the Sicilian uh, uh, product of the Mafia. Luciano, although he was born in Sicily, Joe Bonanno, in his book, A Man of Honor, describes Luciano as an American product, not a Sicilian. He describes, Joe Bonanno describes himself as a Sicilian product. So there's a distinction. Now, if we go on, you know, it would tell us the rest of the family tree of the Genovese family. So Vitalacci talks about this unknown person doesn't really know too much about him but what he does know is that his name is Sandino and he has something that looks or resembles the position of consigliere if we go on to uh, examine further let's turn to Wikipedia you know if it's on Wikipedia it's got to be right it's like Google, consigliere, and uh, it tells us that it is a position within the leadership structure of the Sicilian and Calabrian and Italian-American mafia. The word is popular in English by the novel The Godfather, the movie, 1969, and the film adapting that position. Consigliere is a close, trusted friend and confident the mob version of an elder statement. So it should be a consigliere should be an elder statement. Uh, They are advisors to the boss of the mafia crime family and sometimes is their right-hand man. Sometimes they're not. By the virtue of the job, a consigliere is one of a few in the family who can argue with the boss and is often tasked with challenging the boss when needed to ensure subsequent plans are foolproof. So this consigliere has to be a close advisor that has the full attention of the boss. Now if we look at the history of bosses and we go back to Carlo Gambino, his consigliere was Rigobono and he had issued with him that he was turning senile. But for some reason, it took Gambino a little while to get rid of him and place Joe N. Gallo in that position. Why? Why couldn't he just snap his fingers, the boss, and just, you're out and this guy's in? Hmm, strange. We also see that during the Colombo Third War, uh, the consigliere at the time, a guy by the name of Carmine Sessa, was tasked by the acting boss, Joe uh, Vic Arena, to go around and poll the captains. So there's like a democratic process that this consigliere would, would carry out. Of course, we know it didn't go well, and the Third Colombo War would break out. 
So, if we continue to look in the history, Consigliere is an important position. It's my view, and of course only my view, that Sandino was part of more not only of the position of Consigliere, but he was more of a consortment. He was on the committee. Uh, There is evidence that in 1931, Lucky Luciano had commissioned, through the commission, that each family have this consigliere on board to deal with these matters. It was so effective that Joe Bonanno says in his book, A Man of Honor, that in over 30 years or from inception in the Mafia, that position, Consigliere, had avoided any type of war or fighting in between families. So it is effective. The position, Consigliere, is one that should network with the other families as well. But I take it that the Italians or the Sicilians that migrated to America used the consigliere position a little bit more formal within the structure of the family. In other words, they were there for the counsel and the guidance of the soldiers as well as a captain that might need some type of advice. But Luciano had also dictated not the five families in New York only, he also said Newark was to have it also. So this consortment of consigliaries had a very important role in between families and within their families. They would rule just below or next to the boss. So, of course, the Americanized version of Costa Nostra would start bringing the consulary position a little bit to a position that's not that important, other than you're just you're there. It's just you know this is this thing we do, and we've got you on as uh, top tier. But in the olden days, the consigliere was not only the boss's advisor, trusted friend, could challenge the boss on policy, wasn't there to tell the boss what to do, but he could challenge him on policy. He was there as an advocate for the soldiers. He was there as an advisor to other captains in his own family. He was also a liaison in between other families and their consigliere. The position had a lot of weight. There's also evidence that within families, there was other ranks. For example, if we were to look at the outfit in Chicago, they have similar structure to the Costa Nostra in New York, but it is a little different. And I'll give you an example. 
The boss of the family has an underboss, just like they have in New York. But a couple that's in the outfit in Chicago, that couple has an underboss too. They call him an underboss. So if we look at that scenario, that tells me that the underboss is really the assistant to the boss. Might be the heir apparent. Consigliere would be a little bit higher than the underboss. Because remember, it doesn't say that in the rules the underboss can challenge the boss. But it says the consigliere could challenge the boss on policy. Some of these families had consortments. They had committees that would deal with certain grievances they might have to the boss. As such, the boss would pass policy with good regard from his counselor. And that would be probably what this strange, mysterious person, Sandino, might have done. After 1957, there's little written about Sandino other than he existed. And um, he was some had something to do with the murder that occurred in 1934. Sandino was a mysterious person in a secret society. You know, a lot of people call it Costa Nostra, but that's not the real name of the mafia. It's not mafia either. You see, it's a secret society. It doesn't have a name. This thing of ours was how they would communicate to discuss the organization they belonged to that had no name. And in Italian, this thing of ours is Costa Nostra. So it's a nickname. It's not a real name. They didn't say this is Costa Nostra Inc. and this is the setup. The roots of Costa Nostra are very much cemented in past history in Sicilian Mafia. The position of Costa Nostra was much more in Sicily than it was in America. It had a position of respect in 1931 and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, but eventually it would start becoming watered down. Today, consigliere's lost somewhere in between street boss, acting boss, underboss, boss. He's somewhere sandwiched in the middle. But that's our take on what we believe Sandino. We know he's a person. We know he did something. But the mysterious Sandino is about a mysterious, powerful position in mafia that may or may not exist today. Now we turn to the good book of John where we can read from John Chapter 5, verse 29. And the book, and the good book says in 
John 5, 29, and come out, those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And today, the good word is only listened by those that continue to have faith in believing that a higher power exists and that the Lord will bless those that bless him and those that are righteous. And then some believe it's all a cartoon character and it's not really true. So you could do whatever you want. You want to be a boy and you're a girl, ah, go ahead. You want to be a, a, a girl and you're a boy, vice versa. It doesn't matter. You're, you're good. It, it doesn't matter. But there is a God and there is a judgment day. Up next, episode 285, January 18th, the media. We're going to take a closer look on the standards of journalists. Should there be some? Episode 286, January 25th, the optic, the new sensation of the pistol optic. Is that coming to a police station near you? And episode 287, I'm Feeling Good, February 1st of 2023. As always, continue to be faithful. Continue to pray for yourself because without you, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your community, for your family, for your law enforcement agencies that serve you. Most important, continue to pray for the United States of America. Cops are coming. I got to get out of here. Till we meet again.